You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Well, this morning uh, and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the essentials of our Christian faith. And today I want to look at something called communion. Now, as you came in, you might have received or hopefully you've received a wafer and a little, little container. If you haven't, just give us a wave if you would like to take communion at the end. And even as I'm doing my introduction, give us a wave and we'll make sure we get one of these into your hands. Just keep it up nice and high and the team will come and bring one to you. Uh, so just keep it up. Awesome. We're going to open the Word of God together. Uh, the Word is going to be in behind me, uh, and uh, you can follow along in your Bible if you like, or you can uh, read from the screen. Now, on the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, you have said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. For the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's pray together as we look at communion this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the precious emblems, the bread and the wine, the bread and the juice that reminds us of the sacrifice that you made for us. Today, would we gain a greater understanding and a knowledge of what it means to celebrate communion? Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. Lord, so many here today can give a testimony, a story of what you've done in our lives because of your death on the cross and your resurrection back to life. We are here, we are saved because of you, because of communion. We say thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you were... You knew that this was your last weekend on earth. What would you do? If you knew it was over, like you had absolute assurance and certainty that from Monday it's gone, your life is over. What would you do? How how would you spend that last time? What would you, the people, who would you want to gather around you? I, I could tell you a few things I wouldn't do. I would not attend another meeting, okay? I don't think I'd try and get that task list for work done. I don't think I'd go out and buy that toy, that house, that car, that boat that I I always really wanted. And sorry, babe, I probably wouldn't even take time to mow the lawns. (laughs) On that last moment, what would you do? Well, Jesus gathered his friends, his followers, those that have been doing life with for the last three years, 
and he observed something called Passover. He observed a Jewish religious festival and remembered Passover. As he sat with his friends and his followers, he wanted to leave a lasting impression, something that they might remember as they go from, as he goes from this world into the next. What was Passover? The Passover was a festival celebrated by the Jews. It was a remembrance of God bringing them out of slavery, out of Egypt. Now, Egypt is a, is a type for sin. So when you think of Egypt and the, the slavery, the bondage, they, were, they could not get out of that sin as much as they tried. And yet, God brought them out of Egypt into the promised land. And so Exodus chapter 12 speaks of this, this moment where Passover was established. They took the bread, they took the wine, and they celebrated what God had done. And it was a family event. It was something that they did together. Everybody had a part to play in telling the story and remembering what, Christ, what, what God had done. But the hero of the story was a lamb, a sacrificial lamb, perfect, innocent, without blemish. The perfect lamb had to be slaughtered, the people were told, and the blood had to be put over the doorposts. Because what was about to happen is that across Egypt, the angel of death was about to pass over the homes. And the only thing, the only thing that would save the firstborn child from certain death was not their financial status, wasn't how good they were, wasn't their standing in the community. It was whether their home was covered by the blood of the lamb. And it couldn't just be any old lamb. It had to be perfect, unblemished. Why was this important? Well, we see right from the start that worship always involves sacrifice. There was always a cost to true worship. In the law, which was to follow once God gave Moses the law out in the wilderness, animals had to be sacrificed for the forgiveness of sins. But prior to Moses, with Noah and Abraham, a sacrifice was made when covenants were made. So when God made a covenant with somebody, there was always a shedding of blood. And we see this in the New Testament in Hebrews 9. It says, according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission or no forgiveness of sin. In order for sins to be forgiven, blood had to be shed. In Genesis chapter 22, Abraham is asked by God to do the most difficult thing he could ever do. God says, take your son, your only son, the one you love. And I want you to go and sacrifice him on a, on a mountain that I, I show you. And Abraham obeys and he goes and immediately he, he does exactly what God asks him to do and even binds Isaac on the altar and he's about to sacrifice him and God says, wait, Abraham, I know your heart. You've proven your faithfulness to me. Don't harm the boy. And then provides him a perfect sacrificial ram. Now, why would Isaac's death not have counted for anything? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Because Isaac's problem is my problem. And if it's my problem, it might be your problem too. Isaac was not perfect. So therefore, Isaac could not be a perfect sacrifice. The only sacrifice that could satisfy the, the letter of the law, 
was a perfect sacrifice. And so here's Jesus celebrating with his disciples, remembering what has happened in the past, but about to establish something new for them to remember for all time. So on this final night with his friends and loyal followers, this is what we read. I'll just read these three verses again. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins, for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus says, This is my blood of the new covenant, a new covenant that we're making right now. This is being established over these next few hours, a covenant that we would remember forever. Where Passover had been required prior to Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus is saying, I am now fulfilling the purpose of Passover. From this moment, my death will satisfy the requirements of the law. Now, what that meant, that's no more hauling animals to an altar for sacrifice. I mean, when you, when you think about it, can you imagine what it would have been like to, I committed this particular sin, so I have to bring this particular animal. And when you're walking up to the altar, people are going, well, I know what sin you've committed based on what you're bringing. <laughs> but Jesus is saying that's no longer going to be required because my blood, which is about to be shed, will be shed once for all, forever. A new covenant Jesus was making with his people and therefore us today. Now we could approach the throne of grace. You don't have to go through an altar. You don't have to go through me. If you think you've got to get through me to get to Jesus, then you don't understand what Jesus did. You as individuals can say, Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Father, forgive me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross so that my sins wouldn't be counted against me. And we can boldly approach the throne of grace, Hebrews tells us. And we come before the presiding judge and the one with the authority to judge and condemn us to death. And yet if we humbly come and we bow our hearts and our minds and our bodies before God and say, Jesus, I surrender. He looks at us, he looks at our sin, and he says, not guilty. Because all of the weight of my sin was placed on the shoulders of Jesus, on his life. He who was without sin became sin so that we could have righteousness with God. So Jesus was establishing a new covenant. So what does that mean for us? I want to look at two things today for each of us as we consider communion. My first thought is that communion brings unity with God, brings us unity. So as, as individuals, we have unity with God when we consider communion, when we partake in communion. See, communion in, in, engages in this beautiful exchange. My dark, sinful, sordid life in exchange for the life-giving, powerful blood of Jesus. The sin that should be counted against me is no longer counted against me because of what Jesus did for me. 
In fact, in Isaiah, we read, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Anyone ever got blood on a white T-shirt or red wine or something like that? It's really hard to get out, right? That doesn't make sense. And neither does what God has done for us. It doesn't make sense. The impossibility of it all in, in that picture there. And yet God says, I will make you as white as snow, as though your sin isn't even there. I've always said we're only ever one heartfelt prayer away from being right with God. Just one. Where we would say, God, I need you to save me. That would be enough. That would be enough to unlock all of the mercy of God. And yet so many will never come to that place because their pride will get them and get in the way of them. That they would think, I can do it on my own. I'm good enough. I'm strong enough. I'm brave enough. All of these things that we think we might be or could be, all of that comes undone. None of us are righteous, the Bible tells us. Not even one. All of our, our righteous acts are like filthy rags, the Bible tells us. And yet Jesus made a way through his blood on the cross. Jesus was saying, Passover has been the act in which you remembered the freedom out of slavery into the promised land. But from tonight and the hours that follow, I am establishing a new covenant, one in which I will now provide the only sacrifice that could fulfill the law. Paul, who's the writer of much of the New Testament, he sent a, a letter to the church in Rome and we understand that this letter that he sent probably was the foundational teaching that he would have had in every other um, church that he, he planted and, and led. And so we read this, this writing as, as he establishes many of the themes in the Bible, teaches us, gives us understanding of what, what it means. And in the fifth chapter, verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Now, gentlemen, we've, we've had a little theme over the last few weeks and months, haven't we? Talking about the role of, of, of a husband and a, and a father. You know, it wasn't Eve's fault. He was given the instruction. He was there when she handed him the fruit. He was the head of the home. He was the one that was called to say, no. That's not what we do. That's not where we go. He was the one that could bring protection. And that's why, men, we have to take our role seriously. That's why we have to be men who would, who would raise their, their children and love their wives and lead with strength. And when we get it wrong, we, just, we, we apologize and we go again. But, but sin entered through one man. Verse 13, it says, To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Let me put it this way. If I didn't know there was a speed limit and I drove a couple of hundred kilometers an hour through the middle of town because there was no speed limit that I was aware of, then I wouldn't be guilty of it. But because there is a law that says you can only drive 50 kilometers through town, if I I'm aware of that law and I sit under the law, which I am being a New Zealand citizen. I am under the law of the land. So therefore, 
If I was to drive at 200 kilometers an hour, I am now guilty of the law. Guilty of breaking the law. Not guilty of the law, but breaking the law. So the law was required in order to convict us of sin. To know that we have sinned. Verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Verse 15, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, that's Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Where Adam's sin produced death for all, Jesus' death on the cross produced grace and life for all. That's a moment we could probably give God some praise. (laughs) Because of Jesus, we're not held under that law anymore. Verse 16, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. What's justification? I remember as a child I learned a good way of understanding justification, just as if I'd never sinned. So it's like I've got this list of things against me. These sins I've committed, I've lied, I've stole, I've had bad thoughts, all of these things are counted against me. But when I gave my life to Christ and I asked him to forgive me, he says, that's paid for, that's paid for, that's paid for, that's paid for. So people could look at my, at my list and say, it's just as if he'd never sinned. That's what justification is for us. Verse 17, for if by the trespass of the one man, Death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? That is our inheritance right there, an abundant provision of grace, the gift of righteousness, so that we would reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. What a promise. So Jesus, when he broke the bread and he distributed it, when he, when, he, when he took the cup and he shared that cup, he was establishing a new covenant that we would remember, that we remember today. Participating in communion allows you and I to be reconciled with God. First and foremost, my sin exchanged for his grace, for his mercy. And the symbols, the gift of the symbols, that 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 God would produce something so simple, something so known, so well understood, bread and wine, the simple basics of a meal. And Jesus says, as you take this, so every time you get together, as you have a meal with someone, it can be communion. As we remember his body broken for us and his blood poured out for us. But is communion just between God and myself? Well, if we're truly to observe communion, it's actually something that we take together. My second thought this morning is that communion brings unity to Christ's body. When we take communion, it brings unity to his body. I wonder if Paul was asked similar questions. Church of Corinth, maybe they had some questions because this is what he writes in 1 Corinthians 10. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. Think about the people of Israel. Weren't they united by 
eating the sacrifices at the altar. There was a unity as they came together. Now, as, as a young Christian, I, my testimony is I was raised in church, and I'm so thankful for that. I pray that that would be the, the testimony of our children's children's children, right? That they wouldn't have to go out and get some glorious testimony of, of what they've been saved from. <laughs> but parents would raise them in the house, and they'd love the house, and they would grow, and they would raise their own kids in the house of God. That's my prayer for, for my generation and the generations that would follow. But, you know, I took communion as a child, and I loved the grape juice. You know, didn't get grape juice at home, so I'd, I'd, I'd suck out every little drop of that grape juice. But did I fully understand it? Did I fully know what was taking place? Maybe not. Maybe I kind of interpreted that it was a very solemn moment and you don't say anything, you don't look at anyone. It's, it's your chance to kind of confess all of your sins. And I had a big long list. Anyone else got a big long list of sins that you had to confess to God over communion? I've still got a list. It's not as big as it used to be, but it's still a list. And there was something that was like this private, personal moment. And yes, that can and it should be a part of what we do. You can have communion with, with God any, any time of the day. One-on-one, you, you, can, you can have that, that communion with Him. But there's something even more powerful when we take it together, when we share in the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, Paul says of the cup, sharing in the blood of Christ. Now, sharing in translates to the, the Greek word koinonia, which is also refers to fellowship. A fellowship which is something that is only a biblical thing that we can truly understand. The, the coming together, the knitting together of the Holy Spirit. When we come together, when we come around the table, when we break the bread, when we eat, we are sharing in the body of Christ. And Paul's saying we sh- we're sharing in the fellowship of Christ when we take communion. Verse 17, we read, And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. This is the power of communion. That when we share the Lord's Supper together, when we take communion together, first and foremost, it points us to the cross. We remember what Christ has done. But there's a vertical aspect of the cross, which is our relationship with God, but there's a horizontal, which is a reaching out and it's touching others. So we must remember that communion is not just about God and me, but you and I together coming together, uniting for God. See, communion breaks down the walls of hostility. Anyone got hostility in their life? Relationships that aren't quite right? Do you know that communion can break down those walls of hostility? That if we'd be brave enough and courageous enough to find common ground, to find a common table of bread, body that was broken for us, blood that was poured out, it's the same thing. You can sit around a table and say, I'm a sinner. I I don't stand a chance but by the grace of God, to which your enemy says, yeah, me too. That person you can't find peace with, you could sit around the Lord's table and find common agreement that his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of my sins, so therefore for yours too, which means that if, if God can forgive me, I can forgive you and maybe you can forgive me. What a gift to be given. Paul was in the middle of conversations that would seem between Jews and Gentiles and 
there was a thought process that the, the Gentiles didn't belong at the Lord's table, that they couldn't eat because they weren't the chosen holy ones. And this is what Paul says. He says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God and one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. As we come to a close and as the team come this morning, communion forges a new community of disciples. One that Jesus, who following this very act of communion as they were having this last supper, the dialogue that we read in John chapter 16, 17 and, and, and beyond, there, there is this powerful conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. And one of the cries in that conversation is, God, would they be one? I pray that they would be one. That, that, that they would be one in, in, in belief and understanding and, and one in heart. So when we remember the cross of Jesus, we celebrate communion with him. We, we thank God for each other. When I break bread with you, when you with me, we sit together at this common table. Common table that says, my sin kept me far from God. Yet, but by the grace of God, I can now find freedom. I can walk in relationship with God and with you. And in a moment, we're going to take communion. And I'd love us to take it together to find somebody around you. Now, I realize this, this is really uncomfortable for some people, but we have this one thing in common. The bread and the, and the, and the juice, the wine. Jesus says, as you meet together, would you do this? And maybe it's a husband and wife need to just have a moment together. Maybe as a family, there's been some division. Would, would you come together as one? Maybe you're here alone and you say, I haven't got anyone to take communion with. Maybe gather with someone else. Or families, would we open up? Would we look around and make sure that everybody has an opportunity to take communion? Now, the Bible talks about taking communion in a worthy manner. What does that mean? In simplicity, without going into the detail, it means, is my heart right? Do I believe that Jesus can save me? And am I asking Him to do that? We've been saved, many. We're being saved and we will be saved. Sin will still have a grip on me and I have to make decisions every single day of my life to walk in righteousness according to the righteousness of God. But today, if my heart says, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin, then you're worthy. You're worthy to receive communion today. I want to pray one prayer before we take communion together. That is for those who maybe you haven't yet given your life to Christ, haven't surrendered your will, and said, Jesus, I want you to lead me. No longer living by my own standards and by my own direction. God, I want your help. I need your help. If that's you today. I would love to pray a prayer with you. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If you've heard today that Jesus died for your sins and you want your sins forgiven, would you pray this prayer with me? 
Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I could not afford to repay you for all the sin in my life. And yet you died instead of me. I say thank you. Thank you for forgiving me. I receive your gift of grace today. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.